You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We are not coming to you from the train track and closed nerve center like we normally do. We're coming to you from my home and the council members. Never expected to say that. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the council. You may also know me as the council's voice on social media at Council of DC. Listeners, this is a special round of hearing council interviews, one we never expected to have to do and hope we'll never have to repeat in the future. This is a special home edition of hearing council. And uh, let's, uh, without any further ado, go to our guest, at-large council member, Robert White. Uh, thanks for doing? joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, this is sort of an odd circumstance, uh, but we're, we're kind of doing the best we can uh, without our uh, our friends at DC Radio, who normally make it so easy for us. That's right. Yeah, I miss I miss seeing you in the traditional setting, but uh, but I like being able to see your your home background, and and glad that we can connect even even in odd circumstances. Absolutely. Uh, well, sadly, absolutely nothing has happened in the past six months, so I don't know what yeah. we're going to talk. It's, been, it's been a boring time. <laughs> well. Uh, obviously, an incredible amount has happened. Um, and I kind of want to, things are happening so fast and the news cycle turns so quickly, you lose track of items. Um, right. So what I want to do is take us back through the last few weeks, two, three weeks is all it is, um, in terms of the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, the response, uh, and some of the actions the council's taken. I want to take you through kind of one by one, and if you could just kind of quickly give me your, what your personal response was at the time, what yeah. you're feeling, yeah. someone directly affected. Um, first of all, uh, obviously the death of George Floyd. Yeah. Uh, what was your uh, reaction seeing, sadly, yet another video uh, on the news, but one that had a profound effect this time? It was um, when 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 George Floyd's death uh, first hit the the airwaves. It 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 hit me hard as these things always do. Um, a while ago, I, I stopped watching the video, so I still haven't seen the video. I'm, I'm sure I never will. Um, I, I don't need any additional proof as to you know what's happening. I, I don't need any additional excitement to to get me engaged on, on the issue. And so my 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 first feelings were just you know feelings of, of sorrow and regret that this is where we still are as a country. But as his death really uh, gained traction and um, rippled differently than the hundreds before it, uh, I, it actually made me happy to see that we have reached a point, I think, uh, in our country's history where we might finally make substantial progress uh, on uh, racial equality. We've made substantial progress over time, over hundreds of years, but never in a, in a short amount of time. And my, my hope now is that we are gonna see movement. So I'm actually now feeling hopeful, feeling like this brother might have, uh, there might be uh, something good to come out of such a tragic death. Um, so then 
next up were was this sort of one day when we did have pretty significant property damage in DC. What what was your response to seeing that? A lot of us have saw it happen literally in real time on live TV. Yeah. That, that was sad. It's always sad to see violence so erupt. I was particularly angry about the, the violence and the property damage and destruction because it was easily taking away from a very important message on a very important movement. Um, and I knew that the movement did not have anything to do with the property damage. So people started reaching out and saying, well, how do you support these protesters when they're looting? Again, and I would say, no, the, the protesters are not looting. Looters are looting. And that's not the, the folks that I'm putting my neck on the line to, to protect and support. But the protesters absolutely are doing righteous work. And I tried with every bit of power that one little council member has, uh, tried to lend that, that power and that voice to, to the people who are protesting uh, in the streets, really calling for racial justice, a, a, a call that I 100% support. It's funny that across a couple days, um, both sides uh, had a chance to use the few bad apples argument that's flawed. Uh, but you had to, you know, uh, folks uh, saying about the police, there are a few bad apples, most police are good. Yeah. And the had, there's a few bad apples marring the protest. And it's kind of just interesting to think where the, the truth lies in both, in both cases. Yeah. Um, so, so no sooner than that happened, then we had the situation in, in Lafayette Park. And we had the park cleared and the president uh, strolling uh, across and holding the Bible in the air. Yeah. Uh, this is happening in real time in front of us. Um, what, what was your take from that perspective? You know, as a, as a public official, not a lot of things that happen in politics do I take personally, uh, because you can't, or you just be hurt every day. Uh, but this was one of the few times where the actions of the, our president um, hit me personally and hurt me personally. Uh, the first time was uh, was Charlotte and his uh, response uh, to, to, to what happened in Charlotte, Virginia, uh, but Charlottesville rather. Um, but I was watching uh, the news live because I wanted to hear the president's remarks and, and starting with his remarks, I just could not believe uh, how uh, divisive and racially insensitive, I think is a nice way to put it, uh, but really uh, racially charged. Uh, his remarks are sicking dogs uh, on people who really were protesting. But then as I was watching this live on the news, I see the president start moving and I see reports that they are firing uh, rubber bullets and, and some sort of, 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 of chemicals uh, at people who are protesting, who are not breaking a single law, who are in fact exercising their constitutional right uh, to protest, to speak, uh, being fired upon in the city that I represent by, by law enforcement, by military, by folks who, you know, we are supposed to think are here to protect us. But in my opinion, assaulting DC residents and visitors, I, I couldn't believe that we were seeing that. That's the type of thing that you feel like you read about in the history books and not from like 10, 20 years ago, but from like a hundred years ago, something crazy like this happened. And, and here we were uh, seeing uh, people, peaceful protesters being assaulted so that the president could, uh, could take a ridiculous photo op. 
Yeah, I mean, it was crazy enough, uh, terrible enough seeing people cleared. But then when you figured out why they got cleared and you're just walking, you can't imagine what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and then you didn't even enter the church and, you know, and it was over in 60 seconds. It just was such a peculiar response. Yeah. Uh, And particularly given all the talk that the church had been burned to the ground when we all know, I mean, it obviously never should have happened then any arson is bad, but yeah. the church was intact with the march to save the church. Yeah. So strange. Yeah, as, as, as a person of color, I, I took a lot of offense to, you know, the president's handling of, of that event and everything that's happened um, before and after uh, the murder of George Floyd. But as a Christian, I took uh, significant offense that uh, the president, who, who just does not live out Christian values, would 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 try to use uh, the church as a backdrop to to some you know ridiculous politics uh, that that he runs. It just I mean it, it, I I've never seen anything more despicable, uh, particularly from a high elected official. We we have to at some point expect a lot more from the president of our United States. I think even as a city council member, a lowly uh, city council member, I'd be thrown out on my tail if I ever did something so ridiculous. So how do we, you know, how do we find this acceptable from the president of the United States? Right. Well, the next, I mean, if this was a TV show, it would get canceled because there's every, like every episode <laughs> with an unbelievable cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, the next episode was, uh, Black Lives Matter being painted in 50-foot letters visible from space on Pennsylvania. Yeah. So was that A, performative, B, awesome, or C, both? It, it, it was C. So, you know, it's, it's no secret. I, the, I think, you know, the mayor and I don't see eye to eye on uh, law enforcement, uh, on the handling of uh, these, these protests. We, we've taken very different uh, positions and, and and I do want to underscore that the position I take is that uh, the reason behind these protests is just so important and so overdue. We have to, with everything that we had as elected officials, as people of color, to use whatever microphone platform we have to support this movement and not detract from it, and certainly not let opportunists who are rioting uh, get the better of this moment. <clears throat> but um, you know, differences aside. I respect the shade uh, from the mayor, um, you know, painting Black Lives Matter, uh, basically putting the White House on Black Lives Matter Plaza. Uh, I, I thought it was a, uh, a great move. I thought it got, you know, a, a lot of attention. Um, and so even, even folks who don't see eye to eye uh, with the mayor uh, appreciated uh, that, that movement. And now I think all of us are called, the council, the mayor, uh, the chief of police, all of us are called to make that slogan real. So, you know, what does Black Lives Matter mean if it doesn't mean a change in policy? And we are going to have to work together to figure out what those changes in policy mean uh, when we, when we uh, visibly and vocally say that, that, that slogan, that, that saying Black Lives Matter. Yeah, because uh, the something else that was performative was the Boston Tea Party, but follow that with the revolution. Yeah, well, you know, it some just because something's performative doesn't mean it's not meaningful. If that's it, right. That's right. If you're on the promise of the performance, that's right. That that's my personal two cents. Um. So, uh, so the next chapter was the um, council's police reform bill. 
Yeah. Um, so can you talk a bit about this, about was it uh, preemptive and not uh, inadequate, not adequately discussed before the public, or were these things that have been discussed for years and there just hadn't been a chance to put them in the action? I, I think uh, Charles Allen, who chairs the Judiciary Committee, said it best uh, when he was in a, a recent interview that nothing in this emergency bill was new. Now, everything that was in this bill are things that have been uh, discussed for, for years. And in fact, even though I don't sit on the Judiciary Committee, uh, I have attended some of the Judiciary hearing uh, hearings, Judiciary Committee hearings on matters of policing. And we have heard, and I know uh, Charles has heard even more than I have as chair of the committee, we've heard from residents about so many uh, police tactics and the impact that it has on individuals, on communities. Um, and, and so it was important that in this moment, we take an affirmative step. And I would say that the policing bill, uh, most people I think would agree that in, in some ways it didn't go far enough, but there are a number of things that we can do quickly knowing that they are overdue. And then there are a number of things that we know need to happen, but they bear conversation, you know, an opportunity to really uh, flesh out the details. And so I think that there are uh, more police reform bills on the horizon. And uh, that despite the, the message that folks are hearing from the uh, police chief, I don't see these bills as an attack on our police officers. Our police officers uh, are, are called to act in certain ways and, and called to act on, on many things. Uh, and they, they are given uh, the, the rules and the guidelines. They don't, you know, these line officers don't create them uh, themselves. And so when the council says, no, we need to do something better and we need to have uh, policy changes and we need to implement more transparency, that is just not the same as saying you don't uh, support or respect the people who put their lives on the line to, to keep us safe. Uh, but, you know, our, our police agent, uh, our police uh, office, police force is an agency just like every other agency in the city. And the council makes changes to every agency, probably less police than others. And, and maybe that's the reason we're so backlogged uh, in these reforms. Uh, but, but we do have to remember that law enforcement is an agency. These are government employees, uh, and the council is fully within its prerogative and, and in fact, within its duty uh, when we act to kind of curtail things and address problems that, that we are seeing or hearing from the public. Right, and, and folks need to remember also that like all emergency bills, this bill is paired with a temporary bill and a permanent bill. And for those bills, there are additional votes, additional opportunities to amend, and a significant opportunity for public comment. So, and it's, it, a lot of things are painted as either or. It wasn't like act quickly or have public input. That's right. It's acting quickly and will have public input on the permanent bill. Um, now, on sticking with the bill for a minute, um, one piece of the bill, because it was a police reform, but also sort of a broader justice reform effort, uh, was an effort you had been um, pushing for some time to uh, return votes to those who've been uh, convicted, particularly, I think, in this instance, the folks uh, in, in the D.C. jail. Can you speak a bit about what uh, portion of your past effort was included in this emergency and what was not included from the original bill? So I, I introduced, uh, with the support of the entire council last uh, year, uh, the Restore the Vote Bill, which would 
return the right to vote to D.C. residents who are incarcerated with felony convictions. And this is a particularly important thing because so many of us just assume that folks who are incarcerated never were able to vote and shouldn't be able to vote. Uh, but as soon as you start to peel back that onion, you, you realize that that's just not true. And in fact, the District of Columbia in, in most states uh, took away the right to vote from, from people who are incarcerated uh, during Jim Crow really to suppress uh, the, the power and the, the voice of particularly African-Americans. Uh, so my bill, uh, the Restore the Vote full bill, would restore the right to vote to any D.C. resident uh, incarcerated in D.C. or in the Federal Bureau of Prisons uh, with a, a, con a felony conviction uh, because of the limited um, uh, reach of emergency bills. Uh, we only included the provision, um, the right to the vote, the restore the vote uh, for people uh, in D.C. jail. Uh, the uh, emergency bills cannot have a fiscal impact, and voting outside of D.C. will have a fiscal impact because at minimum, we will have to mail you a ballot. Um, but um, so we, we, we couldn't implement the entire bill here, but I really appreciate uh, Councilmember Allen, who's been a, a huge uh, a proponent of this bill, of figuring out a way to include at least this limited piece to get us going. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, the, the fact that folks who were incarcerated lost the ability to vote, and we assumed that that had always been the case. It's a little bit like the Confederate statute thing, that we assumed the Confederate statues had been up since before the Civil War or immediately after the Civil War. And then right. we find those statues went up, oh, around the same time that the right to vote was taken. That's away. right. That's right. Kind of start to see a package of uh, efforts to uh, point in a certain political direction. That's yeah. Right. But we get used to seeing things kind of as they are, and it, that becomes dangerous when we don't take a, a, an opportunity to second guess it. Or, or, you know, it reinforces the importance of history. History matters a great deal. Uh, so does who tells that, that history. Um, and, you know, if you peel back the assumptions about statues and the assumptions about voting, then we probably look at these issues in a very different way. But when you're deciding uh, how much to get your back up at something that offends you and you assume, oh, it's been terrible for a very long time from the yeah. time it would have made sense possibly and then you find no it was done more recently very much on purpose very much in a way once you know that history you can get your back up a bit more that's uh, right um so okay so we talked about the police reform bill that bill uh, triggered some comments um that that i know you've been on the record discussing a bit in terms of uh how the council might proceed to police. Yeah. Um, and we've gotten into this a bit, but can you just talk a little bit about how you think, uh, basically what happened and how you think the council can, or if it needs to, repair relations with the police or vice versa? Yeah, well, um, I think the uh, our, our chief, Chief Newsham, didn't, uh, didn't like the bill. And uh, in talking to his officers uh, told them multiple times that the D.C. Council had abandoned them, uh, which is an unfortunate and, and a dangerous thing. I mean, imagine if every time 
the council passed the bill that impacts an agency, the head of that agency, you know, told those employees that the DC council, you know, it hates you and doesn't respect you and doesn't support you. You know, what would our city look like? It, it would not be a good place. So uh, I think for one, it was highly inappropriate. That's just not the, the role of uh, an agency head. You know, nor I think does it reflect well upon an agency uh, for whom there's an argument about whether um, their de-escalation tactics are sufficient. Um, was, was, was this a de-escalation tactic or an escalation tactic? And, and indeed, I think most of us think that it really escalated uh, an issue and added significant division. So it did increase the challenge for the council to, uh, to have an open dialogue uh, with uh, police officers and they, you know, these are folks who I, I have to believe the same things that led me to become a council member led many police officers to become officers, you know, wanting to do better for the community, believing that you, you had something to, to give to this role. And also knowing that not everybody who does your role is good or good at it. And so sometimes, you know, you end up uh, lobbed in with a whole bunch of other folks. And so police officers, I think, are trying to figure out where they stand and what their future is, including their future employment. Um, and so the, the, the comments of, uh, of our chief uh, really kind of, I think, led officers to believe that uh, the council wants to, to fire them all and doesn't respect their work. And, and, and I don't think that's the case at all. We do respect their work. But if we, again, peel back this onion, start to ask questions, do we need armed city employees uh, with lead jurisdiction for someone driving with a broken taillight? I, I don't think so. Uh, do we need armed city employees addressing uh, an issue of public intoxication? Probably not. Mental health calls, probably not. And as you start to really ask those questions, do we need armed uh, city employees doing X and Y, you realize that the role of police could easily be reimagined. And the police, I think, would have more clarity on what their role is, more consistency, uh, and wouldn't be called so frequently to act outside of uh, their training or their comfort zone. Um, and so I think that we will be a better city as we really start to ask this question and re-examine what policing looks like. Uh, but police officers should be part of that conversation and, and we do want to keep them as part of that conversation. Yeah, and I, and I think a little bit like the Black Lives Matter Plaza, it's not either performative or impactful. From the chief's comments, I think he is, uh, you know, is proud of the progress MPD has made over the decades and thinks that it's a fairly reform-oriented force. That can be true, but that doesn't mean you don't need further reforms. So I think it's another case where re recognizing there is a both and is helpful. Of knowing that every MPD officer goes to the Museum of African American History and Culture, mm -hmm. takes a one or training program. I bet there are not a lot of departments that do that, the equivalent of that. But just because you do that doesn't mean you, you don't get a chokehold thing. You know, it, it's, yeah. we can acknowledge the progress, but still he should recognize there can be more progress. And there has to be more progress. Yeah. Um, and then sort of the final phase of this is, it's gotten, you know, we had Juneteenth on Friday, but it's gotten kind of quiet. What, what do you think happens next? You know, are folks gonna go back to 
not seeing this kind of like with COVID. I mean, it's not the first story on the news that people get lazy, get their bad habits, and uh, we slip back into the old ways. Or what, what do you think is going to happen next? And what are you going to do to stop us from sliding back into laziness? I recognize as soon as the protests started that we still really only have a moment in time to make significant progress before the next thing happens and demands attention and you know takes the attention away from the media and folks who are protesting need to go back to to, to work or you know raising their kids or what have you. So the next step is really uh, for for people like me and people in positions of, of power and influence uh, to listen to people uh, in the streets. Folks shouldn't have to march and protest for the rest of their lives in order to get councils and Congress and state legislatures to listen. Uh, we've been given our marching orders and, and now we need to march. And like I said earlier with the policing bill, some things can be done quickly because we've known about these problems, we've diagnosed these problems long ago, but some things do require uh, more thought and preparation. And so we, we have to do now the things that we can do now, and we have to quickly set the table of preparation uh, for the things that we need to, to study. But the last thing anybody wants to see is another study with no real end result. We've just, we've seen that so many times on the local level, on the uh, federal level, uh, the Kerner Report, which is over 50 years uh, old now. So uh, people don't want studying for studying sake. They want studying for a specific end goal. And I think that we have to put a, 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 a timestamp on that endpoint. We need to, to set a timeline. So uh, my job is to make sure that the council that I sit on does not forget our marching orders. And, and I'm going to be pushing this issue with everything that I have to make sure we make progress. Well, at that transitions to one more topic I'd like to hit you on, which is uh, the budget. Um, that, like, again, this, this wasn't already a ridiculous enough series of major, major things. We have COVID, we have, we have Black Lives Matter, we have police reform. Now we've got a budget that we have yeah. to pass in basically five weeks yeah. uh, that has uh, much less money in it thanks to COVID and has much more importance to it thanks to Black Lives Matter and protests. Yeah. So uh, how, does this, how does this season end? How, how do we solve the money problems and uh, take this serious look at, at race issues that, that yeah. circumstances require? Well, we are. We're, we're, we're in a recession. Our finances are significantly impacted due to uh, COVID-19. And there are a couple of things that we have to do in this budget, even with limited resources. Uh, one is that we have to make progress on racial justice. So if this budget does not speak uh, clearly uh, to the issue of racial justice, then I think uh, we as a council have failed. Um, and so we have to make sure we do that in addressing what our police budget looks like and making sure that there are other community supports that keep us safe, but also incredibly important, prevent violence. And that you know comes from community investments, from intervention, uh, come from a number of places. But we also have to shore up and stabilize our economy because everything that we fund from schools to roads to violence prevention requires revenue. Uh, and with so many of our businesses closed 
or mostly closed, uh, our revenues are are very short, and we want to make sure that we make uh, this this uh, this revenue impact as small as possible. So we have to do as much as we can to stabilize our local businesses, our local employers, so that as we come out of this uh, coronavirus public health emergency, there are jobs for people to go back to. If we don't do that, we're going to see mass eviction. We're going to see uh, mass vacant. Uh, commercial properties, and, and we're really going to struggle as a city in so many ways because of it. Uh, so we're gonna, you know, we—I I told you earlier, I'm a, I'm a Christian. We, we're gonna have to, uh, we're gonna have to do this. Uh, the loaves of bread. We're gonna have to, we have to make a lot with a little. Um, but, but, but I do think that we're on the road to do that. We haven't marked up any of the committee budgets yet. Uh, I mark mine up tomorrow, uh, so more will become clear later this week. Uh, but uh, but we, we have a big job in front of us, and I, I do think that we are uh, on the road to, uh, to accomplishing it. Gotcha. Okay, well, unfortunately, the time went very quickly. We had a lot to cover. We never even really got to COVID, although we did get to uh, racial health care disparities. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, uh, but I'm sure in another six weeks, there'll be a dinosaur invasion. <laughs> At least. These plot twists are just getting out of control. They are. 2020. We will certainly uh, be sure to bring you back uh, when we do have those those new events happening. Um, But for now, I'm just going to say to any uh, new listeners who are joining us on Facebook Live, uh, be sure to subscribe to the Hearing the Council podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Council member, thank you again so much for joining us. Thanks for having me as always. Absolutely. And thank you, listeners. Uh, Tune in again next time. We're at DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. And once again, I'm Josh Gibson, and this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.